If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Killed. Y'all, we are so excited because you have asked, we have listened, and our merch store is finally open. It's a flash sale. That's right. This is only for a limited time. So make sure that you go and you click and you get the it's in the description box. You guys know what you want and we got it for you. We got t-shirts, we got mugs, and we are so excited for you all to get this merchandise. Make sure y'all stick around for the end of the show because we're going to have some church announcements at the end about some other amazing things that are happening. Now let's get on to the show. All right, so let's get into our players. We have DeAndre Knight, who is husband number two. We've got Michael Giles, who is a 46-year-old retired Air Force vet. He is Quanetta's husband's supervisor in the military, and he is also our victim. We have Erica, who is a 19-year-old girl who is just looking for a job. And then we have Quanetta Harris, our murderess. So our story begins on October 12, 2007. Investigators in Garland, Texas were finishing up their Friday workday, and around 4.30 p.m., a representative from the VA office pays them a visit. For those of you who don't know what the VA office is, it's Veterans Affairs Military. They help militaries. The VA officer tells the investigator that they want them to look into a possible missing persons case. The VA representative says that a man named Michael Giles took out a VA loan to buy his first home. She tells him that for about 15 months, he has not been paying his mortgage, and he's not responded to any direct contact from the VA loan services. Now, this was a huge red flag to the VA loan office because up until the past 15 months, Michael was a model homeowner. Like, he paid his mortgage on time, even doubling it some months. So, for you to automatically stop is kind of like, you know, what happened. Right, and his family said that he had the goal of paying off his home in 15 years. Which I know is that's like, right. <laughs> you better go. <laughs> Michael was 46 years old. He was the youngest of the boys in his siblings and always dreamed of going to the military. He served in the United States Air Force for 20 years before retiring in 1996. During his time in the military, he fell in love with traveling and seeing the world. Even after his retirement, he still loved to travel. But one thing he was about was that money. He had what many would consider smart money. You know, investments, 401ks, pensions. You know, really getting his life together. Yes. So the detectives at first thought, ah, it's probably nothing. Like, it's 4.30 on a Friday. This grown-ass man is probably not missing. He's probably minding his business. And he, they're like, oh, it's probably a big misunderstanding. Let's go ahead and quickly look into this. So the investigators start with trying to reach out to Michael's family. 
pretty simple first step. When they get in touch with their family, they tell the police that they had not seen or heard from Michael in over a year. They said that the last official time hearing from Michael was July 4th, 2016. It was a holiday, of course, and the Giles family always got together for their family cookout. So they call Michael and they're like, oh, when are you coming over? Like, for the cookout. And he's like, oh, actually, I'm going to just be cooking in at the house. I'm not going. That was pretty weird for him because he usually never missed any holidays if he was in town, but they didn't push him. Like they said, grown ass man. So a few days go by after that July and the family reaches out to Michael and they get a text message from him saying like, I'm okay. I just need some time away. And they're like, okay, you know, at least he gave contact. At least he said, you know, where I am. Yeah, he said he was hiding out in New Mexico. Right. He was just like, I just need some me time. And I get it. Same. All the time. So they let it be. And then after a while, they started sending more and more calls and more and more voicemails. Michael, where are you? Like, call mama. Stop playing around. Like, I understand your space and you're grown. You're able to do what you want. But like, we're your family. Hit us up. So finally, Michael's sister and family, they had enough. So Michael's sister, their cousin, her husband, they all go to decide that they want to go to Michael's house. Now, when they go to Michael's house, it's a little strange because they see a four lease sign in the window with Mike's number on it. And they're like, uh, this doesn't make any sense. Like he was very proud about buying and owning his first home. And why would he want to lease out his house? And they didn't have a key to get inside the house, which like safety somebody you trust should always have a key to your home in my opinion um so they decide to like look around see if they can see what's going on inside the house they peek inside the house and they see nothing like nada no furniture no paintings on the wall there is absolutely nothing so this time the family calls michael's phone again because They're like, okay, what in the world is going on? They're texting, they're calling, and they're getting the same response. I'm traveling, I'm taking a break from life, blah, blah, blah. Ain't no way my my sibling is up and moving and not talking to me about where the fuck you at, and I'm not seeing you. You didn't say bye? Your whole house is packed up and you didn't say bye? And the police asked them, like, is this strange for him? They're like, he's a private person. Like, he would... He, he always has been. He loves to travel. So it's not unlike him to be like, oh, y'all didn't know I'm out of town. You know, I'm out the country real quick. I wanted to travel. But like, this is such a long time, you know. So finally, Michael's sister's cell phone rings and it's from Michael's number. So she's like, oh, my God, finally, the man calls me. And when she answers the phone, there's a woman on the other end. That says, oh, hi, I'm on a cruise ship and um, I met Michael and his lovely wife and he dropped his phone. And so I decided to, you know, I'm, I'm just calling to let you know that I turned it in, you know, if ever he tries to reach out to you. And so his sister's like, this nigga done went and got a wife and not tell anyone and like went and eloped and didn't tell anybody. Right. And the cops are like, this is weird. Like, this is suspicious. Clearly something in this water ain't clean, right? The investigators go to the house, and now there is someone living in there, and it ain't Michael. The investigators are confused by this tenant in the house, Robert Austin. He says he's been living there for some months. His landlord was a woman named Quinetta Harris, and he said that she was the goddaughter of the homeowner of the homeowner and was just helping him get the house leased out. He began renting the home for $990 a month. 
He mentioned to the detectives that his lease was very standard except for one thing. Quanetta explicitly told him that he was not allowed to dig in the backyard. It was a very weird request, but it did not bother him too much. While living in a home, she wouldn't respond to any of his requests to do work on the house, like normal landlord maintenance shit. Then he tells the detectives that a few months ago, he got a letter in the mail saying that Quinetta was killed in a tragic head-on collision while driving to church. The home was inherited by Tree C. Knight, who is now taking over the property and plans on selling the home. The detectives go back to Michael's family and ask about his goddaughter, Quinetta Harris. And they're like, I've never heard of Quinetta Harris. He kept his business to himself, but we would have known if he had a goddaughter. Would you? Right. <laughs> I, uh- a, a goddaughter? I feel like you would. Well, they believe at least, at least heard of it, but not a wife. You don't have to have a wife to have a goddaughter. They thought he had a wife. Anyways, Detective Sweet and Detective McNear convince Michael's family that look, it is time to file a missing persons report. When you file that missing persons report, it allows them to get a subpoena to look at his records his phone records his bank records his computer records and do all of that and you guys to subpoena records it's a process like you have to file the missing persons report you have to prove that the person is in some type of imminent danger then you have to get a judge to sign on the on to the subpoena and then you have to get the bank to you know do their process and then you have to get the phone company get back to you like it is a process if ever somebody is missing especially that you know like go ahead and file a missing persons report like go and find them so that you can get those records as soon as possible anyways so they put out this put out for the subpoena and they're waiting for the records to come back so in the meantime detectives go and they canvass the neighborhood to see if anybody has seen anything if anybody has heard anything and well there was this little old white lady tells them that a few a night a few months ago she saw two hispanic men and one black woman loading all the furniture from that house into the truck in the middle of the night now this white lady called the police before approaching them to ask what they were doing so she calls the police she approaches them she's like hey like what's going on around here you guys are moving in the middle of the night which like moving in the middle of the night is not abnormal because of the heat i feel like most of my big moves have been at night but anyways and the lady's like, oh, I, I bought the house. We're just getting everything ready for me moving. She's like, oh, I didn't know that the house was for sale. But she's satisfied with the answer that she gets. So she calls the police. The police come and she's like, oh, false alarm. Nothing to see here. When that woman called 911 that evening, she said the license plate number on the 911 call. So, of course, they ran the plates. The truck seen that night belongs to a Francisco Vacuna, which, okay, y'all. Now, we done did a lot of research and... It's these fellas right here where the discrepancy lies. Okay. It's the Vacuna family. It's their first names that we are not so sure of. And their relation. Right. Because some say this is like dad and son. Some say this is a kid and it's uncle. Uncle and nephew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But one is 19 and one is around 50. So uh, Francisco, who is also known as Juan... And will be known as Juan for the rest of this story <laughs> is in his fifties. Okay, so he lives in Garland, Texas. So they ask him to come in, and the story he tells takes it to a whole new level. Francisco works for a landscaping company, and he and his son were working on one of the neighbor's yard when he was approached by a black woman who asked if they would be interested in buying some furniture. She introduces herself as Katie, and she shows them some really nice furniture and sells every single piece 
in that house for $300. Of course, this is a fantastic deal. Once they're all packed up, she says to them, hey, like, you want to make a couple extra bucks? And she's like, I got a quick little job for you. And of course, they're like, okay, you know, what's the job? And then she says that she's building a pond in the backyard. And if they would go in the backyard and dig a hole for said pond, not thinking too much of it, they agree and they go in the backyard and they start digging. She gives very specific guidelines for her pond. She's like, it needs to be about six feet by three feet and just, you know, put it here on the back part of the house. You know, she said and they, she specifically asked, <laughs> make it big enough for me. <laughs> And they were like, okay, so how deep was the hole? And they were like, you know, we could stand up into it to, about to our waist. So they're like, uh, the police are like, oh, bad things are to come from here. They said, we even made a joke. Feels like we're digging a grave. <laughs> the next day, they bring the guys and they're like, can you show me where you dug this pond? And there's no pond in the backyard, but there is some random slab of concrete which is randomly placed we'll show a picture of it tazzy are you you're probably better at describing home things than i am it's against the house like the back edge of the house and it's pretty much the length of the back side but it goes out three feet away from the house and it's just concrete which three feet wide what how many things can you really fit three feet wide like not patio furniture Right, not a chair. They were like, yeah, it's about a plastic chair wide. So they sold everything. She sold everything in the house to them. And But the guys mentioned, you know, there's one thing we didn't buy off of her. And they're like, what was that? He was like, we didn't buy this couch from her. And they were like, oh, well, you know, $300 for an entire house full of furniture is a pretty good deal. Why didn't you buy the couch? And he was like, ah, uh, it was some kind of red stain on there. And honestly, it looked like a blood stain. But she said it was pain. I was like, I don't have time for that. So I took everything but the couch. And the police are like, oh, oh, sis. So meanwhile, bank records come back and they are the most telling. All of his money was being wired to Detroit, from Texas to Detroit. And it was going into the account of one Miss Quinetta Harris. She's alive, damn it. It's a miracle. <laughs> okay, so seven days after the missing person report was filed, the cops get a warrant to excavate the concrete. Detective McNear oversees the excavation process, and he already has his warrant drafted. He is awaiting the judge's signature. He's like, as soon as I get a body, I get a sign, and we get Quinetta. So he's got his partner, Detective Sweet, up in Detroit, and he's sitting outside of Quinetta's house. Like, he's like, I don't want her to get wind. That He's like, because it's going to be on the news that we're digging up this concrete. And he was like, I don't want her to get wind and try and skip town or whatever. So he's in Detroit, sitting outside of her house, waiting on a call to saying that he can pick her up. So excavating the body is like a lengthy process because I guess they have to sift through every dirt. You can't just like dig till you hit something because you don't want to destroy any evidence. Yeah, so he's just out there waiting on a warrant to scoop her up, but he sees her leave her house. And so he's calling down to Texas and he's like, what y'all got? I need something. They like, we don't got nothing. You just got to wait. Like, I can't do shit right now until we find a body. So... No body, he, then you arrest her without cause. Right. So he's like, I can't let her leave. What the fuck I got to do? So he's like, I'm just going to approach her. I'm going to talk to her. So he steps up to her and he's like, hey, are you Quinetta? And she's like, yeah. And he was like, oh, um, I'm investigating a missing persons case. Do you know who Michael Giles is? And she's like, oh, yeah, I know him. 
whatever, whatever. They're just talking about the guy, like, oh, casual shit, right? And then he gets a text. That Now, these guys, they've been out here working since 7 a.m. trying to excavate this body, which is, like, a slow process because you got to sift through the dirt and all of that shit. Can't hit any bones or whatever. So they've been out here from 7 a.m. It wasn't until 3 p.m. that they finally hit something and put that call out that there was a body. So McNear tells Sweet to get her ass, and Sweet's like, I'm going to play it cool. So he's like, can you come down to the station and... You know, we can just finish this whole conversation about Michael. And she was like, oh, I don't know. I was kind of headed out. He was like, listen, we get out the way now. I don't ever have to bother you again. She was like, cool. Let's get it out the way now. So they get down to the station and he starts asking the same standard questions. You know, how do you know Michael? Where did y'all meet? And turns out the reason that her and Michael met is because they were neighbors in England when they were on the U.S. military base. Her first husband was a, also a part of the U.S. Air Force, and Michael was her husband's direct supervisor. Now, her and her her first husband had a pretty tumultuous relationship. They argued a lot, or, and something happened on base that she did that got him in trouble. So... I called up my friend, baby daddy, and I was like, what are the things, because I don't know military people like that, and I was like, what are the things that you could do, and he was like, it's probably drugs, it could be anything that just, like, shines bad on him, like, if your wife is doing it, then maybe you're doing it too, and they, they, they're pretty strict, especially on the military basis, because it's still owned by the U.S. government, so he kicks her out of the house, she goes, and she knocks on Michael's door, and she's like, oh, um, my husband kicked me out of the house, I need a place to stay, so he's like, oh, well, you can stay in my spare room here. She needed a place to stay while they were overseas. She had a child already. And he was like, you know, that's totally fine. It can be very platonic. But then it grew into this very long on-again, off-again relationship. So Sweet continues questioning her. He's like, so why are you leasing his house out? And she was like, oh, because I have power of attorney and I can do that. And he was like, well, why would you be power of attorney? And she says, Michael is the father of her six-year-old daughter, her second child. And instead of paying child support, she just takes what she needs when she needs it. This is not true. He is not her baby daddy. So Sweets is then like, so are you Tracy? Remember, that's the woman who took over the property after Quanetta died. <laughs> so Heavy she, air quotes. Heavy air quotes. So she's like, yeah, people call me that. Uh, my last name from my first marriage was Nye. And then... You know, people just call me Tracy, so yeah, that was me. So then he's like... You didn't hire some Hispanic guys to come take all the furniture out of the house? No. You know, just to clear it out? You didn't hire some people you don't remember doing that? No, I didn't Young man identified you saying that you had him dig a hole in the backyard. Did some of us... No. Well, yeah, I walked in. Well, I just, just curious, the Hispanic individuals, that, that puzzles me a little bit because several of them picked you out of the line. Then I guess he's tired of playing this whole dance and he's like, I'm just gonna lay my cards on the table. He's like, So listen, we got you, bitch. Let me just get to the point and quit beating around the bush with the whole thing. We had the concrete slab torn up, and life was not missing. You're in a lot, a lot of trouble. We're looking at murder right here. You trying to talk to me with murder? Murder, murder, and then murder like I can go to death. Murder? Um, it could be. I guess it could be a death murder. I mean, I call my friend. 
So yeah, at this point, the interview ends, and finally, on this day, October 19, 2007, Quinetta was arrested and charged with murder. Quinetta was sent to Dallas County Jail, awaiting her bond hearing. Before leaving Detroit, however, the cops searched her home, computer, and phone. Her search history was full of great questions for Google, such as how to get blood out of the couch. Good question. Yeah, how to skip town after murdering someone. Uh. What to do with the dead body. So, you know, Madam Google has all the answers. So, you know, she was guided every step of the way. They also found a notebook with all of Michael's info. I'm talking passwords, bank shit, probably the terms to his mortgage, all of that shit. It's it's all in this notebook. They found out that she had stolen over $210,000 of his money and assets. Man, she had payments set up for her kids' tuition to a private school. She was getting her mom's bills paid, you know, taking care of the family. And they also found that power of attorney paperwork she was talking about. And it's like, who the hell allowed this man to sign over all her shit? Like, this just isn't making sense. Now, the signature was by a man named Donald Eberly. He received a letter in October of 2006 saying that Michael had a stroke and that that possibly happened from like a bad car accident. So somehow he had a stroke. But because of that stroke, he could no longer speak. With the letter was also included a co-signer application so that Quinetta could have access to his bank accounts. Basically, be the power of attorney. Basically, um, what Jamie Spears has over Britney Spears. Hashtag free Britney. Donald talks to Quinetta and is like, and is like, ma'am, I need to see him so that he can sign these papers in person. And she's like, sir, he just had a stroke and is bedridden he cannot come down and travel to texas to sign these papers and he's like ma'am i guess i'm gonna have to come up there because i need to see him in person so she's like okay fine 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 come on up here i'll send you the address we'll call you an uber get on up here so that you can see this man he goes to quinetta's house and he walks in and he sees michael in a hospital bed wrapped up in bandages all the way to his face all the way pretty much you couldn't see anything but like eyes nose and mouth and he's like okay you know let me see some id ask some questions and michael pretty much could only do sign like yes no and they had he couldn't really move his hand too too much but like you know squeeze yeah so they keep asking you know yes or no questions just to make sure that Donald can ID him. So if Donald finally says, okay, yeah, this is this is definitely Michael. Let me go ahead and sign over this power of attorney. And uh, Quanetta kind of helps Michael sign his name on the dotted line. So if you're wondering how Michael could be there in October when we know that he died in July, is because that wasn't Michael at all. Remember in the players when we talked about Quanetta's husband number two? Well, his name is DeAndre. And like Michael, DeAndre is a big, bald, dark-skinned nigga. And he could pretty much pass for Michael. So now, I know white people say this, but, you know, he was pretty similar. I, when I heard it on the podcast, I was like, this is some white folk shit. But when they put a picture <laughs> of them side by side like, okay. on on one of the 
uh, docu-series, docu-films that we watch, I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, they look alike. Yeah. I probably would have made that mistake, too. So, Quanetta is working as a nurse right now. She rents a hospital bed and gets some bandages, and she puts those nursing skills to work. And so, she wraps up DeAndre, and she basically tells him, you do this, this, and this. These are the questions that you're probably going to get asked. This is how you do it. Let's practice. Let's rehearse, you know? Mm-hmm. So once back in Texas, Quinetta is released on bond. She pays, you know, the bondsman, probably Michael's money, and she gets out. Because they don't want her to flee, the bondsman helps her get an apartment and everything that she needs so that she can stay in the city of Dallas until her trial. Prosecution is starting to build a case at this time. It's still circumstantial at this time. There are no witnesses. There is no murder weapon. There is no blood in the house or anywhere else. There's no DNA and just all that physical evidence that you really need to take a murderer to trial. They're they're lacking and you need those things just to convince a jury. Through this period that they're putting on this through this period where they're building their case, they keep getting these tips in from Crime Stoppers. And they're like, yo, you need to look into Vic and Juan. We are back this week with our sponsor, Hood Adjacent Tees. Hood Adjacent Tees was found by their CEO and director of Dopeness, Patricia and her family. They're from Baltimore, and the company was based off of their community. They live in a place where you can go from schoolgirl to around-the-way girl in 10 seconds flat, where you can love Jesus but love trap music too. Not Hood, but the commute is less than one minute. Hood Adjacent. They've got t-shirts for every occasion, y'all. I've already been telling you, Juneteenth is coming up and you do not want to miss some of these awesome designs. I got the cutest onesies for my niece and nephew last week uh, and they just came in the mail. You can also customize your own shirts. So go check them out at hoodish.org and use the code SWK to get 20% off your order at checkout. Find something you love. And now back to the show. It's April 28, 2008, and a young woman named Erica Flores walks into a courtroom, whispers in the bailiff's ear that she needs to talk to Judge Chatham. And the judge is like, first of all, you can't whisper. Second of all, what do you need? That judge was sitting on snap. He said, I don't even need the bailiff to repeat because I heard what she said. <laughs> I was like, what do you want? <laughs> she basically goes to the judge, and she was like, do you know Quinetta Harris? And the judge is like, yeah, she's one of my cases. And Erica is like, you've got the wrong lady. I did it. Now, this makes shit a little rocky because this case was built on circumstantial evidence, you know? Now, this could turn things around. The whole investigation, there wasn't even a sign of an Erica Flores. Like, we, we haven't even heard this name. So, right. the, D, the DA and the detectives, they like, what you talking about, Willis? So, they get together and they sit down with her and she confesses she says me and two hispanic guys juan and vic were riding around looking for somebody to rob and we seen this man we followed him into his house while he was carrying the groceries and i pulled out a gun and he was like i'll give you all my money just don't kill me but he'd already seen our faces and vic held him down and juan held up a pillow up to his face and i shot him through the pillow we wrapped him up in a red blanket and buried him in the backyard. And the detective was like, damn, that was spot on, you know? Like, when they found that body, it was buried with the pillow. And they did the trajectory to see that it was shot up close to his face. Right, like, and none of this information has been released to the public. So this is something that only the killer would know. Right, he was found wrapped up in a red blanket. So, like, they're like, damn, she's, like, got 
for real information. Now they're like, okay, let's ask a few more questions to make sure this is really it. So they're like, what type of gun did you use? And she was like a nine millimeter. And they're like, damn. And then they're like, okay, what did Juan look like? And she said, 19. And wrong. Juan was 58 years old. And they was like, girl, you lying. So as soon as they called her out, she was like, okay, I didn't do it. So they told her mama that her girl's down here at the courthouse confessing a murder. And her mom was like, wait a minute. I done heard this story before. When I was in county jail a few months back, I had a cellmate named Quinetta. That's her story. She said Quinetta used to ask about her daughter all the time and ask if her daughter was working. She's like, she keep asking, your daughter working yet? Your daughter got a job yet? She was like, Business. right. So her mom then tells her to go and tell the cops the truth. Police are like, okay, Erica, why are you doing this? And she's like, I got a son. And I was in desperate need of a job. She's, what, like 19 years old? She, right. She's trying to make some shit shake. She's like, some lady found her resume and called her to come meet with her because she had been hired to be an information investigator. First of all, way to put some work into that name. Information investigator? Right. Like, especially as someone who is currently just throwing out their resume, like, just throwing it to anybody that has an open position. If somebody would have been like, you're an information investigator. Okay, what's the job? What does that entail? I don't even know what an information investigator is. Second of all, you can tell this girl I never had a job before because can't nobody tell you that you've been hired. Like, it's will you accept this position? Right. She's like, they called me and said they hired me for this job and I needed to meet with them um, in two days. So she's like, you know, I thought this was real because the lady starts talking benefit. She says, I'm going to be paid $1,200 weekly. So after the two days, the lady who called her, you know, she goes and meets up with her. And it doesn't seem like they met in an office. Like, this is all based off of portrayal, but... Yeah, it seemed like there was, like, a, a restaurant or a coffee house. Or it was meeting in some type of... Public space. Place, yeah. So, this elder elderly woman with a Jamaican accent, she's like, Okay, you're going to read this script and you're going to memorize it. And then you're going to go into Judge Chatton's room... And you're going to say this script to him. And she says the job was supposed to uncover how black people were treated differently in the judicial system. Instead, it uncovered that Quinetta's ass still can't be trusted and can't handle freedom. So she needs to go wait for trial in jail. The job, of course, was fake. And the elderly Jamaican lady who offered it to her was really Kenwada disguised in a wig. So the detectives, of course, she picks her out in a lineup. And the detectives are like, okay. Let's go get another warrant and let's revoke her bail and get her back in the jailhouse. They do that and they search her apartment that she was staying at. In the Dallas apartment, they find the script that she gave Erica and a paper that was titled Garland Crime Stoppers. And it was a list of all the tips that were sent in to the Garland Crime Stoppers. So letting us know that Quinetta was the person. Because Crime Stoppers, they're always anonymous no matter what. That anonymous person was her all along. Every single time. Time passes and finally the murder trial begins. The defense argues that 
look, everything is circumstantial evidence. And yes, things look bad. You know, wire fraud is a lot different than murder, True. you know, so that we can't prove that this was murder. Like, okay, money, white collar crimes, sure. Murder, absolutely not. And they were like, but we also have uh, an explanation for you. Remember that that husband, DeAndre? They were like, DeAndre, now he has a criminal history. And he already admitted that, you know, he was pretending to be him because he says that, you know, I was, I just thought we was running a scam. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, it actually was him, and he was jealous of the fact that, you know, she was still messing around with Michael, so DeAndre did it. But DeAndre had an alibi. DeAndre was at work. (laughs) My man was at work. (laughs) And DeAndre made a deal to testify against Quinetta, which led him to serving less than a month for pretending to be someone else to commit fraud. White collar crimes will get you right, boy. Halfway through the trial, she sees how things are going and she asks her lawyers to ask for a plea deal so that she doesn't have to face life in prison. So they find a plea deal and she admits fault and is sentenced to 50 years in prison. And at the time, she was 37 years old. In Texas, murders usually serve up to 80% of their time. So Quinetta was just kind of still pretty lucky with her sentence even though you know i mean even though she was already 37 so in september of 2015 the texas department of corrections receives a court order lowering quinetta's sentence from from that 50 years to just eight years making her immediately eligible for parole on september 23rd 2015 she was released from prison just kidding she was not released from prison she forged that letter she forged a judge's signature on a court document that almost got her out of prison early i mean (laughs) she don't stop when i tell you she and goes on and on and on (laughs) so she actually will be in real life eligible for, for parole in 2033 when she is 61 years old. So we don't hear from Cornetta at all. And so then in 2002, this journalist named Justine Vanderloon writes an article in dissent. And most of her source is Miss Cornetta Harris. And they're talking about the conditions of, for women in the prison. The article is disturbing, but there's also a lot of sprinkled in of Quinetta's something isn't quite adding up here. So quickly, she writes that this 2015 forged paperwork that, you know, I mean, everybody's trying to say that I did it, but I didn't do it. And you want to know who did do it? It was other women in the facility and probably members of the, oh, I don't know, the Aryan gang that committed the act, which that's what she says. Anyways, she also says that while preparing for the case, she tries to tell her defense, like, look, I was abused as a child. I was kidnapped as a child. And so the abuse becomes the abuser. And the defense was like, no, I'm not going to put that in trial because they don't believe that it's true. We also saw a video where her family was like, look, she she had a great life growing up. She lived in private school. So it's also a lot of discrepancy between is Quinetta back to her old antics or is she telling the truth she then says that her first husband was abusive and michael was abusive so that's why she killed him it wasn't just for money but since this forging fiasco in 2015 
Quinetta has been in solitary confinement, spending 23 out of 24 hours out of a segregated cell. Till this day, y'all, till this day, she has been in solitary confinement. So now Quinetta has turned herself into, like, this voice of the people. She's the people's champs in prisons. Like, they want better conditions. And she's showing the whole racial injustices. But it's kind of like, are you really the one to lead this platform after you did a whole scam on racial injustice, like, investigation just to try and get out of prison? So, a little fishy, but whatever. Right. She also talks about how the cells, they have absolutely no AC, no heat, and they are in Texas. So, these cells are hot. They are so hot that a lot of people come into the isolation uh, the isolation cells, and they try to fake their suicide so that they can be put into the air-conditioned psych ward. And a lot of people, you know, their fake suicide actually turns into an accidental real one. Um, She also talks about the COVID conditions in the prison and how they are absolutely horrible. She was never given sanitation products, anything to clean the cells with. The guards were sick. The prisoners were sick. There were no masks. In this prison that she is at, the women are sewing American flags because you know that they use prison labor for free, even though the prison denounces uh, chain gangs and slave labor, but you make them do work for free and absolutely no pay. So they actually stopped making the American flag so that they can make masks for the prisoners because they weren't bringing in masks for the prisoners, which is crazy. The guards were sick. Some of the guards actually died. Some of the prisoners died. And she was also talking that, like, the women would get in trouble for just crazy, excessive things, like, that men wouldn't get in trouble for, like, talking back, excessive and or, or aggressive eye-rolling, and other minor offenses that men probably wouldn't get in trouble for, but women, because they're ladies, they got in more trouble and they got more, like, demerits for. All right, y'all, it is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I ain't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. Um, if I was Quinetta, you getting all that money for him to pay your bills, your mama bills, your baby bills, you should have kept paying his bills. Girl. Because that is how all of this mess started. So I have I have a couple of tips for sis. First of all, you should have kept that mortgage going. Do you know the type of passive income that would have brought in? Yes. Because first of all, you're not paying the fucking mortgage anyways. You're using his money. But then on top of that, like this whole tenant situation, you could have kept that shit fucking going. And that's the only reason why they were even brought to the attention in the first place. Because the the thing, the, 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 the house was going up for foreclosure. So, had you kept that shit clean, nobody would have been in your business anyways. Right, you got to cross your T's and dot your I's. Right, second thing where she went wrong, this mysterious slab of concrete. She put the shit... Now, She could have extended it out so that it connected with... She could have extended the initial patio so that at least it connected. It wouldn't have been so wild. This is what I feel like she should have did. Check this out. You ready? I'm ready. It should have been a sidewalk around the house. If she would have just kept that shit going around, she'd be like, oh, it's just my sidewalk. You know, the grass gets 
muddy or whatever and I like to have a dry place to stand or whatever she could have did it a little wider just a little bit wider put a grill over there yeah she didn't she landscaping is not her forte Mm-mm. Mm-mm. and then like that was the second hole she started trying to build like further away from the house but like ran into wires and all this shit because you know you're supposed to call, call county before you do any serious digging right and she went digging in the wrong spot so i guess she felt forced to go up against the house but that that you needed to you know make it not look so fucking weird but good on her because they never found the murder weapon still also good on you for the no dna evidence good on you for the gun the pillow that was found had a hole in it so to prevent blood splatter she shot him through the pillow Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No mess. So you had, you had, there was an article called, um, Moron or Mastermind, and I was like, because some of the stuff, but some of the stuff, some you of know? It. Some of it. And you know, it's probably the shit that she found on Google. <laughs> What's the best way to shoot somebody? <laughs> the, uh, uh, let's Probably a Reddit up. thread. Probably found right. it on a Reddit thread. Something Ooh, like Tumblr. that. Tumblr. Oh, yes, because Tumblr was definitely, mm -hmm, especially at the time, it wasn't censored like it is now. Okay, parole or no parole, friend? So, no parole. Yeah, girl. She plays too much. You are trying it. You can't be trusted. I can't, I can't take anything that you're, you're saying now. You... The fact that she, her cellmate she made a bond with and was asking about her daughter and oh girl this that just to set her up, that's fucked up. That's that's fucked up, sis. All right, guys. So as some of you know, we're searching for a new logo. I know we love the old one, but we want something that's originally ours and not just some stock photo that anybody can use. Which brings us to this amazing opportunity. It's a logo competition. That's right. We want you to be a part of our new logo. So here's how it's going to happen. All you artists and graphic designers out there who want to design the next cover for our podcast, you have until June 28th to send your submissions to sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. Now, the rest of you killers, we're not going to leave y'all out either. Y'all are going to help us vote for which design y'all like best and which one will ultimately be the new face of Sisters Who Kill. Now, let's talk prizes. First place winner will not only design the new official logo for Sisters Who Kill podcast, but they will also win a free week of ad space on the show. Their website and portfolio will be pinned to the bottom of all podcast show notes. They will receive a Sisters Who Kill t-shirt with the OG logo, a tote bag with the OG logo, a sticker with the OG logo, and a sticker with the new logo. Second place will get the OG logo t-shirt, bag, and sticker. And third place, we'll get the OG logo t-shirt and sticker. For more details, email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. Now, I know y'all heard we were selling merch in the beginning of the show. Now's your chance to buy something with the OG logo on it so you have something to show that you were one of the day one killers. I I only <laughs> check Twitter, but you're mostly talking to Taz on Twitter at sisterswhokill. You can follow us on Instagram at Sisters Who Kill Pod. You can follow us on TikTok at Sisters Who Kill Podcast. You can, if you feel like, you know, a donation in your spirit, mm-hmm. you can cash app us with that little money sign, Sisters Who Kill Pod. 
If you want to email us about ad space, suggestions, what you want on the Patreon, ad just space. Just to say hey. Just to say hey, girl. We, we talk here. back. <laughs> I promise you, one of us will email you back. You can email us at sisterswhokillpodcast at gmail.com. Um, Drink your water. Put on some deodorant. It's hot out here. All right. Bye, friends.